Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. Next is now. Well, we're always trying to figure out what is next and figure that out right now. Of course, we've been watching closely over the last 24 hours. Steve Bannon, former President Trump's chief strategist, turned himself in yesterday after the January 6th commission held him in contempt of Congress for ignoring their subpoena, failing to turn over documents and information relating to the January 6th commission's uh, efforts there. Uh, The headline, of course, uh, looks horrible and terrible. Uh, But as all things with uh, Mr. Bannon, he uh, has a way of turning them to his advantage. And and so you have to look at this whole uh, concept of contempt of Congress and what it is and what it means and and what it doesn't mean. It's actually an implied power. It's an inferred power. Uh, It's not anything that's expressly written in the Constitution. But as you, you drill down on it just a little bit, it, the the real definition of it all is when an individual intentionally interferes with congressional action. So Congress has the power to restrain such individuals from interfering with its actions. Uh, it is a form of contempt, uh, of course, like a contempt of court. So contempt of Congress, again, anyone that uh, restrains uh, or has individuals interfering with their actions. Now, uh, originally, this interference of congressional action really focused on bribes, that it uh, had to do with bribing members of Congress to vote a certain way on a certain bill or issue. And so that was a contempt of Congress because it was inhibiting Congress from doing its job, which is a legislative job. And uh, so that's a, an interesting thing to to think through as you watch this play out uh, with Steve Bannon. And um, if you look at it over over time, again, most uh, most of the time, and that is what it has to do with. Uh, but uh, we've had a, a series uh, over the years that has been very different of recent uh, date anyway, that you've had uh, members of administrations held in contempt of court for not turning over documents, often those are people who either worked in the White House or formerly worked in the White House, those that could couch the information that they did have to share in the context of being protected under presidential privilege. And no one's really buying that one as it relates to Mr. Bannon. And the interesting thing to me as it relates to Steve Bannon is this contempt charge, which has happened now, uh, it it starts as a misdemeanor kind of thing. Misdemeanor, of course, could he could only be punished for you know probably thirty days up to twelve months, thousand uh, dollar fine. Uh, if it advances to a higher charge, then it could be a year in prison and up to a hundred thousand uh, dollars. But the interesting thing to me is is what is what is it and does this fall? Does this fall again? Take the politics out of it, uh, set aside everything else, uh, and look at it from a the rule and the job of Congress, uh, holding hearings and so on, that's that's one job. The primary job, of course, is legislative job, uh, which they don't do very often these days. Uh, and so that becomes part of the question and the debate is, is this required for Congress to do its job? 
Uh, some people ask the question and say, well, they're, you know, they're trying to figure out who to charge and who to, who to do what to as it relates to what took place uh, in our nation's capital on January the 6th. And again, that's a, that's a committee and that's a hearing. Uh, we know there are numerous investigations going on, uh, both from the Department of Justice, uh, the CIA, the FBI, Department of Homeland Security. Uh, there are state and local uh, folks that are also doing investigations into into various activities in and around January 6th. Uh, and so you have to ask the question in terms of what what is Congress's end game? What is the result uh, that is being uh, blocked uh, by Mr. Bannon not responding to the subpoena for information and to testify in front of a congressional hearing? So that's a, an interesting way to, to look at all of that. Uh, now let's kind of flip the script a little bit. Let's talk uh, all politics for a moment. And of course, uh, Steve Bannon uh, spoke yesterday outside the FBI uh, Washington field office uh, as he went in for those charges to be read for that hearing to take place uh, with the two misdemeanors. Uh, here's what Steve Bannon said. I'm telling you right now, this is going to be the misdemeanor from hell for Merrick Garland, Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden. Joe Biden ordered Merrick Garland to prosecute me from the White House lawn when he got off Marine One. And we're going to do, we're going to go on the offense. We're tired of playing defense. We're going to go on the offense on this and stand by. All right. Uh, Pretty classic Steve Bannon uh, in terms of framing of an issue. So, again, now we're going to set the politics back aside for a moment. Uh, What he is saying is, look, this is a problem. This contempt charge is is a misdemeanor. He called it a misdemeanor from somewhere south of here. And the fact that it was uh, he was claiming that it was President Biden who ordered the Justice Department and Merrick Garland uh, to bring these charges uh, against Steve Bannon. And so that becomes an interesting thing in and of itself. Uh, Here's one of the really interesting things uh, when you think about all of this, that uh, Steve Bannon uh, has been able to drive so many conversations online and have influence in so many spaces in our country uh, that it's really pretty astounding. Uh, There was a period in 2016 where with a little website, he had more influence on the dialogue in the country and the direction the country was going in an election year than any member of the Senate or the House. In fact, I would say all of them combined uh, because he had a platform, he had a message, uh, and he made it. And again, we can debate uh, the good, bad, and indifferent of all of that, uh, and there's a lot of bad in that whole process. Uh, But when you look at that, he had real influence. Because he did it. And while many members of Congress were sitting back and not doing anything, uh, he stepped into the void uh, and he he led that conversation. And so those are all ironic and interesting things. Uh, The one thing, and I mentioned this earlier to Maria, and we had a little bit of this conversation with Dave and Deb earlier today, that the one thing that worries me in all of this is when we weaponize all of these things uh, for political purposes, uh, I talked about the, you know one of the the worst uh, experiences and just odd experiences was covering uh, the Republican convention in Cleveland back in 2016, of course, which is when President Trump received the nomination, 
And in covering that, there were so many moments throughout that convention where the audience was chanting, lock her up, referring, of course, to former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, who was then the nominee for the Democratic Party. And that chant in and of itself is troublesome. Uh, If you're going to lock up your political opponents, uh, that's not good for the republic. That's what uh, dictators do. And so all of this, we have to be very careful that we don't allow what is lawful and legal under the Constitution to become weaponized for political purposes. Stay with us. Much more to come on Inside Sources. Thurl Bailey is going to join us coming up next, talking about five for the fight in the Utah Jazz right here on KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.